Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to How Bitches Are Made. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. Thanks for joining us, everybody. If you haven't listened to season one, go ahead and do so. The first nine episodes are available now. And make sure that you listen to our introductory mini-sode, which breaks down the cycle of How a Bitch is Made and makes it easier to follow me on my journey. Without further ado, let's get back to season two with this week's story. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect the innocent and the anything but. Chapter 13, Grounded. I was working on a show that filmed in Atlanta, coincidentally, the same city where I had met my friend Darlene, when she called me with an invitation. You know that summer camp I go to every year in NorCal? Yeah. They're doing their final one in May, and I want you to come with. Ever since I'd met her, Darlene had raved about a summer camp for adults that unleashed creative freedom, established forever friendships, and offered a chance to get in touch with one's true self. I have to admit, while that alone was incentive enough to pique my interest, my main motivation for wanting to join her was that, unlike most American children from my generation, I never got to experience the pleasures of summer camp. And I suppose that's because a summer camp in Phoenix, Arizona, more closely resembles a death camp than anyone's idea of a good time. But having the opportunity to rectify one very big mistake my parents made for me was irresistible. After a nearly 12-hour drive up the coast, Darlene and I arrived at the campsite where we were greeted by a portly man in his 30s, donning a full beard and colorful pajamas. He introduced himself as Honey Bear and gave us a brief rundown of the guidelines we were expected to follow throughout the course of the long weekend. First off, no electronic devices. This is a tech-free camp, so you'll be required to forfeit those once I send you down the hill to check in. Secondly, we don't talk about work here. In fact, we don't even allow you to mention the word. And lastly, everyone here has to use a camp name. You can pick your own or we can help you but I highly suggest you pick your own. The whole purpose of this weekend is to get you to forget about who you are out there by stripping away all the masks we hide behind every day. Some you don't even know you're wearing. Some seemingly innocent as your name. Before Honey Bear sent us back down the road he'd stopped us on, he instructed us to eradicate any demons or negative energy we may have been harboring by screaming over the side of the cliff from which we stood. Apparently, what seemed like a fun and freeing act to me brought others to literal tears. 
I watched as a small group of criers huddled together like mourners at a service who just spread someone's ashes. I suppose the idea I'd always had of camping, especially when it came to the idea of adult camping, were flannel-wearing backpackers who carried Getty water bottles, gloves for bouldering, and collapsible cookware and skewers to make chili and a roast wieners. But as I loitered around near check-in, noshing on an oat flour chocolate chip cookie and washing it down with my choice of alternative milk, I found myself observing men and women dressed in dinosaur costumes and showing off their skills on a unicycle, playing the recorder, or showcasing other strange talents that made me wonder where the Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks characters might be hiding. Isn't this great? Oh yeah, amazing. I love this place. Ready to go to our bunk? Was I ever. The rest of the afternoon consisted of us getting acquainted with our village, which was made up of four to six framed out huts they call cabins, each consisting of three bunks where sheets they call mattresses lay on top of two twin-size metal bed frames. Despite how flimsy and pathetic they initially appeared though, I have to say they were impressively comfortable. Leave it to the Sanfraners to come up with that kind of inexplicable technology. After we'd settled in, our counselor summoned the campers in our village to meet on a grassy knoll just outside of it. Hi, everybody. My name is Red Robin. I'll be your counselor for this session of camp, and everyone here is your village. How many of you are new to camp this year? Like a new kid in school, I reluctantly raised my hand, afraid of the attention doing so might attract. Amongst the 20-something-odd women in our group, I was one of the few who caused heads to ping back and forth, scanning the scarce fresh blood and quickly committing them to memory. All right, so it seems like most of you are familiar with how camp works then. That's great. But for those who aren't, you might have noticed we don't have clocks here. And that's because we want you to honor yourself by honoring the natural clock you have in your body. The start of every activity, including the beginning of the day, will be indicated by the sound of a trumpet. But you don't have to do anything you don't feel like. I couldn't help but think of my sister in this moment, mocking hippies with their stereotypical perception of time and evasion of responsibility. As a creative who grew up at odds with her athleticism, I hated that this moment seemed to be proving her right. And that includes our electives. You don't have to participate in them if you don't want to. You can just sit by the stream and daydream, which we also encourage. But we do strongly suggest you participate in your village time, which takes place twice a day. We'll meet right here in the morning and again after lunch, just to check in, have some conversations with one another. We spent the next hour pretty much as the little birdie had told us, discussing with our village the various masks we hide behind in more depth and contemplating how they might be responsible for shaping the way we view and are viewed through everyday life. I have to say, despite my initial judgment of the concept, it was one of the biggest takeaways I'd have from the weekend. The other was my camp crush. I first noticed him at the community lunch table after he popped out from the person seated next to me to comment on something he'd overheard me say and I was immediately captivated by his resemblance to Shia LaBeouf, therefore proceeding to project my fantasy of the actor directly onto him and making it my sole mission to keep track of his whereabouts for the remainder of camp, something that was surprisingly hard to do amongst the 300 attendees. After all, the fact he was almost exclusively dressed in a dragon costume 
made no difference at the wooded version of Comic-Con. The following day, everyone was instructed to dress in all white and observe an hour of silence while wandering around the woods in a state of reflection. Something I was beyond excited to experience given my long-standing desire to walk around a wooded area alone. Just when I thought Dateline had destroyed that dream forever. But that wasn't the only thing that had me looking forward to the period of accompanied solitude. It was coupled by the fact I hadn't been enjoying camp as much as Darlene's testimonial might have suggested. There was the girl who confronted Darlene at the talent show the night before, for example. Excuse me, hi, can you not chew your gum so loud? It's preventing me from enjoying the performances in the talent show. Given her distance from us and the low decibel with which Darlene was actually chewing, I thought it was a joke. Perhaps the girl's clever way of getting Darlene to recognize her as a friend she hadn't seen in a while who had spotted her first. It wasn't. Then, of course, there was my own confrontation with a fellow camper that took place during my archery elective. Whoa, you're holding your bow wrong. I'm holding it the way she showed us. See? Don't point it at me. There's no arrow. You are reckless. While I tried my best not to let his skittish, obvious left-handedism bother me, I eventually pieced out early and headed to the stream to daydream about all the various ways I wanted to hurt him. Suffice it to say, I'd been welcoming the peace and quiet of Silent Night with outstretched arms ever since, which made receiving the gift the universe was about to present me with that much sweeter. After another trumpet signaled the end of our meandering, the entire camp silently filed inside the dining hall, and that's when I found myself face to face with my camp crush. I couldn't believe such random luck in having been sat across from him at the dinner table. And even though we'd been pantomiming Ariel's main obstacle and the Little Mermaid throughout the entire evening, I was happy to feel as though we were just as successful as she was when it came to establishing a connection despite it. Once the Sea Witch's spell had been broken and we were given back our voices, things really seemed to heat up between us. Of course, that could have just been the giant bonfire we were standing beside. Can I sit with you? Sure. He situated himself on the ground beside me, closer than I might have otherwise been comfortable with, had I not already found him so intriguing, and had I not been on the rebound. You see, I was in the midst of a breakup, one that left me in search of some pretty serious validation. I mean, someone more animated, playful, forward, and affectionate. And these were all qualities my camp crush seemed to display almost immediately. Are you liking camp so far? I am. It was the truth. At least, it was now, in light of recent events. Are you? More now. Did find the whole silent dinner thing a bit culty, though. You did? Oh, yeah. Super culty. Plus, wasn't allowed to talk to you, so that sucked. That did suck. Especially because I've been trying to find you all, Cam. You have? Yeah. Ever since I saw you at lunch that first day. I even told all my friends I thought you were super cute. I told my friend! She didn't know that you were super cute? <laughs> I meant I thought that you were. Uh. Luckily, the universe intervened there, right? Sure. Can I put my arm around you? I figured he was asking because of the consent song the counselors performed for us during the talent show. Not because he was a gentleman or because he picked up on my feeling that the gesture might be a little too fast for me. And while normally I would have found asking for my permission quite corny, I have to say, 
I did appreciate the opportunity to consider what it was I actually wanted. Not that it made much of a difference. While I really wasn't ready for that kind of contact just yet, I felt him asking was enough to give him what he wanted, and thus, allowed it. Hmm. This is nice. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the heart to tell him. Affection was something my family had never routinely practiced. Or that I felt like the mouse in Lenny's hand. And as tends to happen when unfamiliar with someone you might kind of like, I was too afraid of moving my frozen body into a more comfortable position for fear of breaking any connection. So there I lay, willing my neck not to ache and my ribs not to puncture my imposed upon heart. Can I tell you something? Yeah? It wasn't the universe. Huh? At dinner. I saw you filing into the dining room, so I ran as fast as I could to sit across from you. To a hopeless romantic, that might have deflated my enthusiasm. But since I'd been so deprived for attention in my last relationship, it was all it took to win me over. As the night drew on, we lost track of time. Something that's pretty easy to do without any clocks around and spent the evening walking the campgrounds, getting to know each other as best as we could, sans metaphorical masks. What are you writing? I don't know. He was referring to the fear-burning ceremony that took place earlier in the evening, when we were instructed to write our deepest fears down on a piece of paper before tossing it into the flames of a giant bonfire, where they'd then be released from our psyche out into the universe. I'll tell you mine. <sighs> okay, um... Not to fear success, or myself. Huh. What about you? Oh, I couldn't think of anything. Oh, come on. I told you mine. Yeah, I'm telling you mine. I'm just not really a fearful person. You're not afraid of anything? Not really, no. So what did you write down then? Nothing. You threw in a blank sheet of paper? Yeah. There was something about his boyish arrogance and unwavering confidence I found incredibly sexy. And for the first time in a long time, I felt hopeful. When we arrived at my village a few moments later, he stopped to take both my hands in his, shuffling them around as if he were trying to distract himself from the deliberation going on in his head. Can I kiss you? There was something in his tone that caused me to hesitate. But assuming it was my personal struggle with intimacy, I gave him my consent. Wow! I realized what it really was, was my impeccable intuition. He stood on his tiptoes, clenching his fists almost as tightly as he was closing his eyes, seemingly holding on to the moment for as long as he possibly could. Can I do it again? Yeah? Holy... Oh my god, again? It was then I realized one very big, critical flaw in the structure of this particular camp for adults. Adult included anyone 18 or older. So, aside from not knowing his name or his profession, I very quickly realized I didn't know my camp crush's age either. While I was sure I'd be able to separate the teenagers from the adults, that was before I found myself on the island of lost boys surrounded by hundreds of people with Peter Pan syndrome dressed in costume. Horrified by the idea of crushing on someone I deemed still a child, I couldn't help but consider the equally horrifying idea of offending someone my age by implying they were acting immaturely. 
I knew I needed to navigate my way through very treacherous waters as delicately and as creatively as possible. When's your birthday? April 22nd. I hoped that if he was weird enough to attend this camp, he might also be weird enough to give me his full birthday and include the year. Of course he didn't, because that would be psychotic. So you're a Taurus. What are you? Aquarius. Does that make us a good match? I don't know. What's your Chinese zodiac? Like, what year were you born? Uh, 1990. Ugh. Well, he may not have been too inappropriate to date. It's never easy to hear that the person you're interested in was born a decade after you. Especially when that decade is the 90s. Not to mention, it raised quite a few concerns regarding his overly eager reaction to our kiss. And that's when I realized the most horrifying thing of all. I think he might be a virgin. What? No, he's not. He might be. I mean, he was way too excited about that kiss. Maybe you're just a really good kisser. Well, no shit. But I mean, it was just too weird. Oh my God. What? What if he's never even been kissed before? Of course he's kissed someone. He's too cute not to have. Maybe he just really likes you and is very expressive of his feelings. It was a possibility. After all, I'd never been with anyone who was. Maybe that's just what it looked like. Just see where it goes. There's still one more day of camp. You don't have to figure it out right now. Though I felt I had all the information I needed to make a solid ruling, I figured Darlene had a point. Another day of deliberations wasn't going to hurt anyone. Unless, of course, they were a juror on the OJ trial. The following day, I was surprised to find myself growing more and more intrigued by my crush. After all, there was so much mystery surrounding the topics we weren't allowed to reveal about one another. Like, much to Honeybear's credit, our names. With all that superhero alter-ego energy swirling around our unknown identities, his potential inexperience seemed to pale in comparison. Eventually, I just couldn't help myself. Okay. What's your real name? We're not supposed to do that. Come on, I want to know. Guess. Uh, what does it start with? B. B. Yeah. Blake? No. Brandon? Nope. Hmm. Bob. Don't tell me! <sighs> Damn! I wanted to see if I could guess what you looked like. I don't feel like I look like a Bobby, though. It's pretty childish. I didn't have the heart to correct him. It's not short for Robert, either, by the way. My parents just straight up named me Bobby. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you look like? Give me a letter. R. Rebecca. No. What other R names are there? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the most obvious? Regina? Regina? No, Regina is not obvious. Wh Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> Shit, I'm Jewish too. I should have gotten that. It was in this particular exchange I became a convert. Not just to Judaism, but to optimism and to relinquishing control. I wasn't sure what we would be outside of camp, if anything, but I knew I was at least intrigued enough to want to find out.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On my way back to my bunk that evening, I stopped by the center of camp to slip my phone number inside his snail mail box a gesture I was happy to find had been reciprocated by the time camp concluded. After we'd settled ourselves back inside the real world, I got to know who Bobby was outside of camp. Hour-long FaceTimes revealed he was from a wealthy part of Florida where his parents still resided, happily married after getting engaged on their very first date, a fact I chose to find more romantic than concerning at the time. Though his entire family were doctors, Bobby chose to pursue a career in agriculture, specifically hydroponic produce. The farmer, as I will now refer to him, rapidly excelled on account of a considerably high IQ, which no doubt also contributed to that brooding confidence I found so irresistible. Along with his recent success, the birth of his recent nephew found the farmer focusing on settling down and starting a family of his own. It all seemed great on paper, and just as importantly, great in his pants. With a boner coming up in conversation on more than just one occasion, so too did it that he was in fact not a virgin. And with that fear put safely to bed, I decided I was finally ready to board a plane to Oklahoma where I could finally hop into his. A funny thing happened as the date of my departure drew nearer though. I started to feel an inexplicable surge of hesitance that quickly graduated into a swell of dread. Given how the stars had been aligning up to that point, I wasn't sure what to make of it, figuring perhaps it had something to do with the stress or pressure a new, tenuous, long-distance relationship is known to accrue given the situation. I attempted to temper my anxiety by creating a physical boundary I suspected might take the edge off. I just sort of think it's smarter for me to get a hotel room. Okay, but you don't have to. No, I know. I just... I wanted to feel like we're dating instead of just like straight up jumping into a relationship, you know? Plus, then we'll both have personal space we can retreat to if we like want or need it. Well, I know I won't need it from you. The truth was, the farmer's feelings were developing far more rapidly than my own. Something that tends to happen when dating someone younger and less experienced than you. I didn't want it to scare me off too prematurely though. I'm an Aquarian after all. Nor did I want to repeat any critical mistakes of my past. The way I saw it, the hotel room was like a single girl's gay accomplice at a nightclub. A cock block, if I wanted it to be, or a cock magnet, if after careful consideration I didn't. It was the insurance policy I needed to create a natural buffer for me while simultaneously preventing further attachment on his side. And as it so happens, it proved to be exceptionally effective. After being serenaded by an orchestra at the Botanical Gardens one night, a flirtatious trip to the local farmer's market the following day, and another evening spent dining on the farmer's farm-to-table food, I found myself in fact growing increasingly more comfortable with what my logical mind would otherwise consider to be a very accelerated relationship. And with only one more giant hurdle still ahead of us left to explore, I felt ready to bring him back to my hotel room to explore it. Are you ready? Fuck yeah, I'm ready. Although I have to tell you, I've never done this before. Me either. Well, should we have some wine or something first? No, I think we can do it. Oh god, I just feel so vulnerable. 
Like, you're really gonna know me after this. I'm sure I'll love it. Okay, here it goes. With that, I opened my laptop and began reading some of my writing to him. Oh, yeah, I opted to skip over the part where he stuck it inside me without wrapping it, or without asking for my consent first, because unlike our sexual encounter that took place moments just before, this is where the real meat of the story lies. When I'd made it to the end of my essay, I proudly closed my monitor, set my computer to the side, and rolled over to face him lying next to me on the bed. I cradled my head in my hand and proudly awaited the praise and approval I knew I deserved. What do you think? Was that it? Yeah. I don't know. You seem kind of bitter. Bitter? Yeah, like you hate men or something. I love men. Doesn't seem like it by the way you write them. What? I, I just wrote what actually happened, verbatim. That didn't happen. I assure you, it did. I don't know. Okay, fine. I guess I just prefer the happy, smiley version of you. This one just seems so... jaded. Jaded? It's not jaded, it's my experience. Hey, it's okay. I don't have to like your writing for it to work between us. You kinda do, though. It's who I am. It's not who you are, it's what you do. Didn't camp teach you anything? And it's not like you even really do it anyway. You're an actress. I like you as an actress. I wasn't sure how to respond, but suddenly, I knew I no longer could. Welcome back, everybody. So the story that you just heard was called Grounded. And this was a story about, (laughs) I guess in retrospect, a rebound relationship. But I never really had a rebound, so unbeknownst to me, that's what it was. All right, so let's talk about my perspective on the farmer and camp. This camp, I think, was designed for people that come from a more analytical or numbers background, like people that maybe work in Silicon Valley or aren't uh, exceptionally creative. And it's designed for them to be more creative and really nourish that side and that spirit. But for an artist, it was kind of redundant, (laughs) like... I I went there and there were a lot of these like exercises we were supposed to observe ourselves in. And I just felt like it was everyday life. Like there was this journal and it was like every time you reach for your phone, make a tally. I think over four days I reached for my phone one time. I'm I'm never really on my phone. Uh, But obviously a lot of people are. I've seen that. I broke up with somebody because they were on their phone more than they were looking me in the eye. But... There, there were little things like that throughout the weekend that I just kind of felt like I didn't get the point. It was just not very applicable to me. And I don't mean to sound like an elitist when I say that. I just think that this was, you know, it was a camp designed for a very specific individual of which I was not. But that's not to say I didn't get things from the camp because I absolutely did. And one of the things that I loved most about the camp, which I reference in the story, was this idea about masks. So I've already told you guys I'm not like a huge drinker. I do love drugs, you know, psychedelics. And like those are obvious masks. Arguably, they're obvious masks because in in theory, you could say that people become more of themselves when they're under a level of any kind of influence. But you know what I mean. So 
what I never considered was that everyday things like our name, our age, where we live, what we do, those are masks. When we hear, for instance, someone is a doctor, we have an immediate idea of what their upbringing was, what their life is like, how much money they make, what they eat, where they live, the kind of car they drive, their personality type. Immediately in our head, we kind of create this profile of who they are and who they might be, which sometimes is the case, but more often than not, it's not. In the moment in the story where I say, is your name Brandon? And he was like, Brandon, there is a perfect example. Like he has a reaction to that name as if there is a physical image of what a Brandon is and he could not be further from it. Or he has a very specific opinion about who a Brandon is. So that was something I never considered that I thought was super interesting and quite innovative of the camp to delve into. Obviously, we we do all hide behind masks every day or filters or whatever term you want to use. And part of the reason is because it's there to protect us in ways. But I think it's also because we as people find our identity in what we can write on paper. Whereas when we're children, we don't really think much about identity. We just exist. In fact, we have multiple personalities when we're little. We're all fucking actors when we're little. Our imagination is running wild. And that was sort of the point of camp was to be more imaginative and be more free spirited. And I definitely did get into that message of the camp I thought was cool. But what was really interesting is after we all left camp, how long that sort of spell, if you will, lasted on people in the real world. I think I took it with me. I'm super impressionable, so I tend to take things with me always and for very lengthy periods of time. But I took that with me for a really long time. And the farmer took it with him for maybe three weeks. And then he started to get really kind of like gruff and edgy. And uh, I don't mean edgy like cool. I mean like edgy like fucking moody. And just became kind of jaded and cynical, which is ironic because that's what he ended up calling me. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. So why did I tell you this story this week? I told you this story because this is about recognizing when someone else does not have boundaries. And what was really cool about this moment was I was in the thick of figuring out who I was, what I wanted, what my boundaries were, removing people that were toxic out of my life, recognizing the kind of people I wanted in my life, what was okay, what wasn't, what my standards were. This was kind of at the beginning. And this was really a moment of accomplishment for me because sometimes we we realize our boundaries without giving them much thought. And for me, him not liking my writing was a huge boundary violation which is silly because it's just a talent of mine or a hobby or whatever you want to call it. But to me, I really felt like if you don't like my writing, it's never going to work. That That's a standard I have. You have to like that about me. And I think the reason why, upon further review, is because the thing I value most about me as a person and as a spirit and as a physical being is my brain, is my intellect. And writing is just the way I demonstrate and showcase that. It's a window into that. 
Back to him not having boundaries. So there were things about him that I think I'd been storing in my subconscious from night one that were making me uncomfortable. But I was looking at that discomfort and recognizing it as something other than what it actually was. I was seeing it as emotional blocks that I had rather than boundaries that I had that I wasn't comfortable with that he was crossing. One of the things was that he was moving so fast. Now, I'm used to moving at a... Actually, that's not true. I was about to say I'm used to moving at a glacial pace. I'm not. I dive in pretty fucking quick, but then I hit a point and I'm like, whoa, we got to slow down. Um, But this... I don't know. There was just something about this fast. It was... You know what it was? It was that he wasn't reading me properly before he was making the moves. So it was like he was driving down a freeway, but not noticing, you know, the exit signs for where he needed to pull off and stop, I guess, is sometimes I need to make a point in metaphor, I guess. So there it was. But like, there were things that I feel like you should, you know, this is silly, but it's not kissing me before even knowing my name. That's weird, right? When you really think about it, like, you don't know anything about me, you just want to kiss me. That's great. Obviously, though, that's just all that's based off of is that, you know, I make you hard. I mean, really, right? He just wanted to kiss me because he was attracted to me, which is fine. I'm flattered. Thank you. But that is that's a sign of him not having a boundary or him not looking for what he says he's looking for, which ultimately came out that he was looking for a serious relationship. Someone that's looking for a serious relationship that is healthy and has boundaries doesn't behave that way. So there was that. There was the fact that he told me his parents got engaged on the first date. How can somebody whose parents don't have boundaries have boundaries? I mean, it's possible. You can learn them, of course. But when that has been the blueprint set before you, and he was super into their story. Like, oh, my parents got engaged on their very first date. He thought it was so romantic. That's weird. Actually, this is a really good time to reference this. My therapist has given me a sheet about the four stages of relationships. I'm going to post it on the website. You should really check it out. Half the reason uh, people don't have boundaries, according to this worksheet or article, I should say, is because everything that we see in the media, everything that's fed to us, shows us relationships in the honeymoon phase, which is not indicative of an actual relationship and growing together. So you should check it out. It's really interesting. But anyway, so he was really romanticizing the way his parents met. I think he really wanted that for himself, but it's not healthy. (laughs) So again, someone who's unhealthy is looking for something that's unhealthy because they don't know what healthy is. Another area where he clearly didn't have boundaries, and I did not share this in the story, is that after camp, he told me that he had reached out to a former girlfriend of his because he realized that she was kind of the one that got away and he was ready to settle down. And so he reached back out to her and was like, I want to give this a go. I'm so sorry. Like, I'm really ready this time. And then straight up told me after he met me that he was going to call her and tell her never mind because he met me and he knew that I was the one. Whew. And I told him, I said, you don't need to do that. You know, we're just starting to date. It's perfectly normal for us to be dating other people at the same time. We're not exclusive. We're not serious. See where things go with her. And he didn't want to do that. And he called her and he ended it. And of course, she got really pissed and cussed him out and all these things. And what did that do to me? Added more pressure onto me. 
as hard as I tried for it to not have more pressure, it's hard for it not to have created that. Because now I sort of feel like I have to make this work in order for that to have been worth it for him, which is not the case whatsoever. But at the time, that was a factor. For sure, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. I felt guilty in that way. Then there were conversations about him wanting to move to Los Angeles. At this point, he'd been working in a different state under a contract with a company that he was growing for, and the contract was about to expire. So he kind of would then get to choose where he wanted to move. And he was expressing wanting to move to Los Angeles, which, again, is putting pressure on me. This is a person I haven't even known for two months at this point when these conversations are developing. And my confliction was that I really liked him. I did want to see where things went naturally, but the more serious conversations that happened, the further back I kept, you know, stepping because it just felt so fast and so heavy. And I was really just getting out of one of the longest relationships in my life. So it felt way too intense for me at this point. And then, of course, finally... Another example of him not having boundaries was when we did have sex, as I referenced in the story. He just stuck it in me, didn't ask, which is hilarious because he'd been asking for consent for everything else. He didn't even put a condom on. And I remember saying to him, like, what the fuck are you doing? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know where you've been. You don't know where I've been. And he was like, no, no, it's fine. And I trust you. And that to me is just not only flagrantly irresponsible. That is so a vivid boundary violation for anybody, for himself and for me. Very disrespectful, very inappropriate, very not okay. So what was happening when I was feeling all of these things? Well, I called my friend Arlene and I was, you know, kind of talking to her about it. And I suppose I wanted her to give me permission to end things with him because I wasn't giving it to myself. I wanted her to make it okay, which you shouldn't have to turn to another person. You turn to yourself. But that's just not where I was on my journey yet. I was still getting, you know, the balls to do that. And of course, she was not telling me to end things. She was more so feeding into the voice of doubt that I had that was telling me this was about me and my own struggles with vulnerability and intimacy. And she was saying to me, you know, you're focused on the wrong things, like you're focused on the wrong checklist. A, a checklist is a grocery list of qualities to look for in a, in a partner. And You know, part of that was true. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I was looking for something I definitely wasn't finding. Part of the problem in going to other people for advice is that they don't have the answers either. A lot of times people give you advice that they should take for themselves, that it's not really conducive to what 
you the advice you should take. So you got to be really careful when you're asking for advice. And I think when you do ask for people's opinions, you need to be very, very clear on where you stand so that you are not talked into something. You're more taking it into account and then making your own decision. So part of being able to identify when someone else does not have boundaries is being familiar with your own patterns and establishing successfully your own boundaries. So here were the habits that I had, and some I might still have, that I knew of. I tend to fall in love with someone's potential or the fantasy, which I think is something that we were both doing here, if I'm being completely honest. I get distracted by things that don't matter, i.e. penis size. Granted, it's very important to me, but it should not be the end-all be-all. It definitely should not overshadow (laughs) the bigger things. (laughs) Um, Then there's I ignore my intuition. So a lot of times I will talk myself out of what I know to be true because I don't trust myself enough to know that it is. Another pattern I have, I have a tendency to hold on to things too long, and that is definitely what I did in this case. So here I knew it wasn't going to work. All of these things started piling up and happening, and then I was like, I don't know how to fucking get out of this. So instead of getting out of it, I just stay stuck, and it just keeps building more and more and more, which makes it harder and harder and harder to get out of, which is what ultimately happened. And the funny thing about patterns is that, I've said this in many episodes, the universe will constantly bring you tests after you've made a claim to determine whether or not you've actually learned that lesson and should be making that claim. So summer camp was sort of my test in all of this. I did have patterns that I thought I'd overcome and that I clearly hadn't. I was still getting distracted by things such as what was missing from my last relationship that this one seemingly had. And while I was focused on the things this relationship had that the former one didn't, I was finding things that were better and more important. But at the same time, I then didn't see the things that were equally as important but more subtle. So because I had these old patterns still very much in practice, and because I wasn't vocalizing clearly my discomfort or my hesitancy, I was also contributing to how quickly things were escalating, right? Because he was thinking I was okay with it all. And so if this train is, you know, gaining speed and momentum, it's just going to keep getting faster and faster. So the cool part about all of this was the end of the story. When he did have my reaction to my writing, it it became very clear to me I, I had to get out of this immediately. And then when I, I looked at my, it, you know what it was? It was a bitch slap. That's what it was. It was the thing that kind of slapped me out of fantasy land and put me into reality because I looked at my life and I started to examine what it was I really wanted and then why I wasn't getting it. I was like, okay, here's the reality. Yes, I met this great guy at summer camp and he looks like Shia LaBeouf and he's goofy and animated and he wears a dragon costume and like he's artistic and fun and flirty and a good kisser. And yes, he had a big dick and all of these wonderful things. He wants to get married. He comes from a very like financially stable family. He's got a beautiful beach house, like all of these wonderful things. Right. But he lived in an RV. He wore Crocs with socks. Sorry, that's a no go. His parents took care of him. I remember 
he went he couldn't get a new iPhone because it was in his dad's name and his Prius was in his dad's name. And I just remember thinking, this person cannot relate to me. I have everything that I have because I've worked for it since the age of 14. <laughs> like, I don't think this person, I'm not, I'm not impugning his work ethic, but that just says something. When you don't have any assets in your name, you don't have responsibility, therefore you don't have accountability as much. It's very hard to relate to somebody like that. Another thing about him is he was very critical but couldn't take criticism. And I think like that was the thing that really started to gnaw at me where I was like, I got to I gotta get out of this. And finally, that last line of the story, you're not even really a writer. You're an actress. I like you as an actress. It was very clear to me that he loved the idea of me, but not the reality of me. He didn't really know me. And if he liked my writing, that would have been indicative of him really liking me. When I ended things with him, he just, those walls went up so quickly like a petulant little child. And he just started getting mean and throwing out digs. And I was like, yeah, you're too young for me. You just, you haven't gone through it enough. We just turned out to be a terrible match. And that's when I really started thinking about what I wanted the next phase of my life to look like. I was finally ready for the real thing. And I started then approaching dating like interviewing candidates for a job position. I was like, okay, if this person's going to qualify to work for my company, they need to have X amount of experience. They need to have these skills mastered. They need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Even if I wasn't clear on what that X, Y, and Z was, it almost helped me in a way because I think I was more open to meeting people on dates. And then through that process, I was like, oh, I liked that about him, but not this. And so in the next person, I'd be looking for all of the things in one. And when we get to a future episode about when I met the one and my explanation of what that term means to me, because it's not what it sounds like, it would reveal really that he, and I've told him this many, many times, he is the compilation of every ex-boyfriend I've ever had, but only the best parts. And I'm like, now it makes sense why I've dated all these people. But again, we'll get to that in a future episode. I think the note to end on here is that when we start to get clear about our boundaries and what makes us comfortable and uncomfortable and we start honoring our intuition, it becomes really easy to make difficult decisions earlier on and therefore make a clear path towards reaching our goals and obtaining the life that we want with who we want to have it with. The farmer turned out to be a rebound, and I feel really horrible saying that, but Rebounds are, I guess, kind of important on their own because everything that we experience in life gives us insight. And this gives us insight and, if we're lucky, an orgasm or two as well. So <laughs> I think this rebound really helped me realize self-worth in ways I hadn't considered before. And then it made me look at things that I pride myself on and it made me want others to value those things as much as I did about myself. I, I think what I'm trying to say is it made me realize my self-worth a little bit more than um, I'd had before. And I started this commentary by saying the reason I told you the story was because it's about removing toxicity from your life and people without boundaries and 
he was the first one, the first casualty, if you will. And obviously he was easier because he was a new energy in my life. He wasn't someone I'd had a longstanding relationship with. But still indicative of how difficult it is because I kept him in my life for a couple months longer than I should have because it is very hard for me to get rid of people in my life when I like any part of them because to me the good always outweighs the bad even even though that's not always the case. In this instance, we were not a good match and it came out that he was very hypercritical and I, the person I know myself to be, could not be with somebody that was hypercritical. And that was a very powerful lesson I learned that I would use almost as a compass moving forward, which, again, you will hear about in future episodes. So that's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with people that you think would like it too. We really want to grow our community so that we can reach a wider audience and people who might really benefit from hearing the stories that we share here and um, might need some guidance that they don't have otherwise. So Twitter, we are at Habam Tweets. Instagram, we are at How Bitches Are Made. And you can check out our new website, howbitchesaremade.com. There you will be able to listen to any episode you want of this podcast that has already aired. We have mini-sodes. We have unscripted episodes. We have season one episodes. We have season two episodes. You can also check out the reference links, which will, as I, I made a reference earlier in this episode about the stages of a relationship, that will be available under this episode. So you can check that out in episode details and see who the voices are of our cast for the stories each week. So many more exciting things and far more exciting things still yet to come. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you back next week. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. A special thanks to this week's guests who helped out with our reenactments for this episode. Emily Stern, Cameron Gary, Mayata Walsh, Kelly Jackal, Mark Hapka, Ed Moravisic, and as always, the incredible Steve Tomp.